Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is Plush Care. Plush Care is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. Hi there, welcome to the Stop Club podcast, coming to you from the top floor of My Wall Street HQ here in Dublin City. In this episode, we're going to talk about the infamous Fire Festival, Slack's direct listing on the US stock market, and Emmett's going to pitch some of the biggest trends in the future of consumer electronics. Right, so let's kick off with some of the news stories that caught our eyes over the past fortnight. Emmett, I wanted to come to you first because there was some pretty big news from inside the company itself. Uh, we've changed our name. We have indeed, James. We are My Wall Street. I love that I went away for like one month and changed the name of the company and the name of the podcast. We tried to move office as well so you wouldn't find us, but anyway, it's the best we could do. So um, My Wall Street, do you want yes. to give us a bit of background on the name? Well, I mean, at the highest level, James, My Wall Street encapsulates our mission and our vision and our values. I know that's a bit of a lofty starting point, but uh, we found in the four and a half years since we started RubyCoin that the name uh, just didn't fit. It just didn't work. And it worked less as the years went by and cryptocurrencies started to prevail in people's consciousness. So the nice thing about our new name is that it's easy to pronounce. It's easy to spell. It says who we are and what we are. And it can't be confused with a crypto. Um, But the story, I think, of My Wall Street is far deeper and far more real than any other name we could have ever given the business. And it's basically several years ago when I sat with my wife, Fanuna, to discuss starting this business, I said that there was a need for a mobile-only service to bring Wall Street to every person. And having lived my life as an investor on Wall Street, my adult life, from over here in Ireland, where there's a huge amount of distance in every sense possible culturally and, and geographically with Wall Street, you know, there it's it is the mechanism for creating wealth, but yet uh there was no one single source to bring the immense power of Wall Street to every person. Yeah. So a few weeks later John Tyrrell, my co founder and I were locked in a in a discussion uh answering the question, Where is your Wall Street? And we pictured a whole new generation of investors accessing Wall Street with their mobile phone from outside our window in Dublin, from across the Irish Sea, by friends in London, by folks sitting in the Taj Mahal in Agara, by young investors in Auckland and everywhere in between. Yeah. And what we've done since that day and now is built products that have touched the lives of millions. We are my Wall Street. We are your Wall Street. We are basically um, a solution for every person to access what was once the preserve of the rich. Yeah. So the company name is moving from Rubicoin to my Wall Street. And is the app changing too? It is. Invest is being renamed to my Wall Street imminently. And we felt it's best to rename and re brand separately yeah. and it's simple that if you have an app you use regularly on your phone if it changes name and it changes logo at mm. the same time when you open your phone you'll go what's this and you could very well delete it yeah. which isn't in anyone's uh, interest so by renaming first someone will first get used to seeing my wall street below the app icon that they're used to 
And then in a matter of months, we will have a full rebranding, which is a new uh, logo, yeah. color palette and typography and all the related assets that are associated with a digital business, the things you see. So a nice gradual transition. Exciting times ahead. Um, so moving on to kind of broader news stories then, Maeve, I have to come to you first because I know, <laughs> I know what you're going to talk about and okay. I can't wait to get into it. Okay, well, I'm hoping that anyone listening or a lot of people listening will also be familiar with what I'm going to talk about. So I have been reading a lot online to do with something called Fire Festival. <laughs> uh, I'm guessing that a lot of people listening also, and us included, I think all of us have seen a recent Netflix documentary titled Fire, The Greatest Party That Never Happened. Yeah. There's also, I think, a rival documentary on Hulu that I I've yet so, yeah. to fully watch. Um, I mean, I guess it's fair to start at the beginning and say that Fire was a business with a product that allowed people to book what they call talent. Yeah. That meant musicians, influencers, models, people to turn up to your events and create marketing and PR hype. Someone then came up with an idea to um, hold a festival to promote the product. Yeah. Um, and that is where I think things started to go a little bit awry. Um, <laughs> so, like, long story short, it was supposed to be a um, the biggest fantasy you can ever imagine music festival blowout party on an idyllic island in the Bahamas. And long story short... Um, the people organising this festival were delusional yeah, or committed intentional fraud. Yeah. There's, a bit, there's a mixed bag in there. The, the, <laughs> it's the, a fine line. <laughs> the founder, Billy, I think is, is serving time. So, you know, he was there, was there was fraud there. But a lot of the people that had carried along with him, including designers and event producers and marketing people. And I think a lot of kind of loyal staff were caught up in this Hype that went terribly wrong. So it was not an idyllic festival um, on an island in the Bahamas. <laughs> it was people, thousands of people who paid huge prices. Um, you know, some people paid enormous prices, like they were promised private yachts and, and personal chefs. Turned up to a different island in the Bahamas that wasn't promised uh, when they booked. To hurricane tents and infamous badly made cheese sandwiches. Yeah, the cheese um, sandwich tweet is, I think is everyone something does I remember. That tweet, right? I think that was the moment where they realised this was, they'd gone too far. They were never going back. It was beyond broken and they were going to get sued. Um, so look, there's a huge amount of chat online about it. But uh, the reason why I'm talking about it is, I think it's a great example of how social proof, and I suppose that word influence can be weaponized. Yeah. Um, you know, they got huge names like um was it a Jenner or you can one yeah, of the yeah, Jenner. One of the Jenners and Bella Hadid and other people that I don't, I don't really know, I think, which is I'm not sure if it's good or a bad thing. Ja Rule. He was a founder. Rule baby. He was down as a founder. <laughs> he was down as a founder in the pitch deck. But anyway, yeah. So all all of these huge names they used as social proof and social influence to sell these hundred thousand dollar tickets and create this massive PR spin and James, you wrote an article recently on Snap. Yeah. And you talked about how the PR hype played into a lot of younger people feeling like it was a good investment. Yeah. Um, so I guess it's about, you know, if you are not using social influence morally well. So like everyone here in Rubicoin, we have a lot of fans and they post about us on social media and it feels really good because they're saying something authentic. Like you created me, uh, you made me become an investor. Mm. You helped me create my portfolio. That's authentic social proof. I think when it's not 
authentic and it goes awry fire is an example of just how bad it can go and how big it can get and how dangerous that can be do you know what I couldn't stop thinking about when I was watching that documentary and I know we've talked about it so much on this podcast already but the book Bad Blood yeah the Theranos story yeah when you watch how like very intelligent people very intelligent investors were pumping money into this guy's mad idea mm. and even when you think about the people who attended the festival like there was all this stuff online about how much of a disaster it was going to be and these people with the fear of missing out still yeah. got on planes went there thinking because was, everybody else was because everybody else yeah. was and like I, if, it's a good lesson for kind of investors as well like, yeah. if, you, if you feel FOMO it yeah. is. there's probably something there that you're missing you're probably acting too emotionally yeah. but everyone mm-hmm. feels FOMO within yeah. their investing mindset and yeah. wants in so it's about making sure that you're getting good guidance yeah. from us. Yeah. Um, and then also doing Touch wood. <laughs> yeah. and also doing your own intrinsic research. Well, yeah. I mean, like you just look at Bitcoin like last year, like the hype that the FOMO that that yeah. caused. And, yeah. and you know, people were just pumping money into something that they had yeah. no understanding of. And mm-hmm. yeah, it's, I thought it was a it's an incredible documentary if people haven't seen it. I think it's, yeah. it's, yeah. it's yeah. a real, real good night in. Just, yeah, I actually have not seen it. I mean, the first I heard of it was from Maeve when uh-huh. we were on a plane home from New York recently. And um, you're dead right, Roy. And Maeve, the, the group think is such a dangerous thing. And, and getting excited by somebody else's excitement is only human and it's only natural. But at times you just have to stop and apply your own thinking. Yeah. And um, Like uh, an example, it's albeit a little bit uh, disjointed uh, from the point is the... Uh, Snap. Snap was a stock, is a stock, I guess, almost, <laughs> um, that a lot of our users were keen to see recommended and put into our showroom because they used it and they liked it and their friends were excited about it. But fundamentally, we couldn't find a reason to love it. And the creative distance that being in Ireland affords us allowed us to be a little colder in the analysis of Snap and of course, we didn't put in the app, thankfully. Um, but that kind of everyone else is doing it, so should I effect is powerful. Yeah. And, uh, and in so many ways, it influences how we go about our day. It shows yeah. the importance of being able to take a step back. And especially us being based here in Dublin, as you said, Emmett, it's we kind of we're not taking the step back. We are a step back regardless. So it's, <laughs> yeah. it's nice to be outside of that noise chamber sometimes. Yeah. Uh, moving on, Rory, there was a big um, acquisition in the My Wall Street app this week. Uh, so yeah, Merger Monday, where it looks like another company is leaving our showroom. How many is that now? That, that'll be number 10, I think. Mm-hmm. Yep. It's Ultimate Software Group, the human capital management SaaS solution. They're being acquired for uh, so around $11 billion. Or they're being taken private for $11 billion. Funny one, because it's always interesting when a company gets acquired, you kind of see you're able to kind of do comparison with other businesses that are similar. Yeah. We've actually got two very similar businesses in the app. So uh, that would be Paycom and Workday. Both kind of do the same thing. Paycom definitely uh, aims at the smaller businesses, Workdays for real giant enterprises and Ultimate Software kind of sat somewhere in the middle. Uh, but they're being taken private for about... Um, I think it's about 10 times price to sales, okay. which is quite low compared to its peers. Like uh, Paycom currently trading at 16 and Workday up in the same region. So it was. it's interesting to kind of look at the, the three businesses and kind of notice the differences in them. Um, I suppose Ultimate Software was probably a bit more mature in the growth story. Okay. Um, they're also... Uh, not as efficient in terms of uh, making money, so bringing in lots of sales, but their their operating margins were down at kind of low low single digits. While Paycom was making eighteen percent, and uh, well, Workday's not 
profitable right now. They're just pumping money into R&D. So it was interesting to look at the three companies and try and figure out which is, is one being undervalued or the other is being overvalued. And actually, even though they provide very different or very similar products, they're, they're very different companies when you dig down into them. Um, but yeah, there's a 50-day go shop okay. uh, period. So if you are an investor in Ultimate Software, you, you might hold on to those shares for a little while and see if there's another offer coming in. Could be a bit of an upset on the cards. Yeah, might, well, you might get a... I, I think the deal probably will go through Yeah. Um, based on who's buying it. I think uh, mm-hmm. one of the largest shareholders involved in the investor group. So, yeah. uh, But you never know. Someone no. might come in and get, get, get a few, mm-hmm. few more quid out of it. Emma, you did quite well. I did. Actually, it's worth mentioning that on the 10, the 10 stocks that were bought out of our showroom, uh, anyone who bought into those 10 uh, made money in all examples, but for one. So nine out of the 10 stocks that were bought out of our showroom resulted in our beloved members and customers making money on their investment. And uh, that's a great result, but it's not the supreme result. The supreme yeah. result is it's left to run for years and decades on end. And therefore, you have multiple, multiple baggers. But yeah, I'm up about 230% on my ultimate software investment, which actually has sat in my portfolio for years. And I'm, I, I've uh, meant to look back and see what its CAGR was, the compounded annual growth rate of my investment in ultimate software. I think it, it's beaten the overall market. Um, but it's a wonderful company, and I wish it was just left alone. It's certainly beaten the market over since its IPO in 98. Yeah. I think it was up 36 or 3,600%. Is that so? Wow. Yeah. But that I mean, shows how old a company it is. I thought, yeah. you know, when you think about SaaS companies, they, they're not usually, haven't been around as long yeah. as that. But yeah. uh, fair play to Scott Schur, the uh, CEO, mm. who mm. built an $11 billion business and probably became a billionaire himself. Sorry, yeah. sorry person of means. I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> don't let Harry Schultz hear you. Yeah. Three comic club. <laughs> so some other big news then before we move on is that Slack has announced it's going to list this year. Um, for anyone who doesn't know Slack, Slack are a collaboration tool. Um, so they basically allow colleagues and co-workers to kind of communicate, message, uh, share files and stuff like that. They're essentially an email killer. It's the bane of my life. <laughs> <laughs> we're, uh, we're big fans of yeah. uh, Slack in here. Um, makes everything way more efficient. Yeah. <laughs> it's a good gift delivery system. That's what it is. <laughs> so uh, back or earlier this month, they said um, they had about 10 million people use the service every day, which I suppose isn't surprising. And of that, they've about 3 million paid users, which includes a lot of us here at uh, My Wall Street. Mm-hmm. Um, so, yeah, Slack are going to, they're going to pursue a direct listing like Spotify did last year. What this means is that instead of the traditional process of selling shares at a set price and securing the investors in advance, um, the shareholders in the company, the current shareholders, can sell their shares directly in the public offering. Um, this allows Slack to avoid kind of, kind of massive fees um, from investment banks and lockup periods for those insider shareholders. Um, and it usually makes sense for companies that don't really need to raise a lot of funds, but want to give their employees and early investors an opportunity to cash out. So, yeah, exciting times. A lot of uh, it's the first of probably a lot of IPOs you might hear of this year. I know Airbnb and Uber have been rumored to to making moves this year too. Mm-hmm. How much and Zoom? Another communication tool. Yeah. Zoom are, are lining up. Um, how much are how much are they expecting to raise? Uh, ten, 10 billion in the initial IPO, I think. So, mm-hmm. uh, the last time I saw their revenue figures, it was around two hundred million annual recurring revenue. So that's a 
That's pretty pricey. Yeah. 50 times price to sales? Yeah, are but... They, are they, they selling marijuana or something? <laughs> well, they, were, they really own the space when you mm-hmm. think about it. Like, mm-hmm. there was that... Um, Atlassian had a product, uh, yeah, Hip, yeah. HipChat, I think. Yeah. And, you know, they basically gave up earlier this year and, and signed a partnership with Slack. Um, I think the only other one I could find was uh, Microsoft have Teams as well. Yeah. But, again, Microsoft themselves tried to acquire Slack two or three years ago. So it kind of is a testament to Slack's embeddedness in mm. in that space kind of a niche space but you know i know slack is definitely probably one of the most used apps on my phone totally definitely the most used yeah. app in yeah. between nine to five so it's i, I remember years ago looking at y combinator the uh, san francisco based uh, startup accelerators investment thesis and and it's a good way to get a view of what's coming down the track as stock investors we need to keep an eye on the future yeah as much as we keep an eye on the present and even less so in the past but uh y combinator will always publish the types of companies that they're looking to invest in and about five years ago um the founder what's his name paul allen or it slipped his name slipped my mind at the moment but um the guy at Y Combinator, the big name of Y Combinator, uh, uh, published the types of companies he was looking, they were looking to invest in. And mm. the great disruptor to email was number one on the list. Yeah. And as I saw Slack's rise, even firsthand here in this business, it was very apparent that that had arrived. Yeah. Email's great disruptor is Slack. And then there's a whole bunch of other players. But uh, it's almost email... In, our, in my consciousness has kind of become what snail mail was maybe yeah. 20 years ago. You, you posted someone a letter, now you send someone an email, has a little more gravity in it, has yeah. an email signature at the end, but for 95% of the communication I do professionally is on Slack. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Okay, so moving on then, we're going to have a look at some of the companies we never talk about. Emmett, you're gonna, it's your turn today. What company are you going to delve into more I'm going to talk to? about Wynn Resorts. Okay. Uh, I'll start off with, as I usually do, a bit of a lofty statement, and it's that as an investor in a business, you feel a sense of connection when you're in when you interact with a company that you own shares in. So, for example, if you own shares in Apple, I, I find you feel differently when you're in one of their flagship stores. Uh, you get a feel for their scale and their strength and their products and their services and a whole range of other tacit aspects. And, mm-hmm. and that kind of sense of connection happens when you become a shareholder. And if you play that forward, there's no example that I can think of where that effect is more pronounced than when you've invested in a luxury casino. And as, as most listeners know, uh, like all senses are put into overdrive when you're in a top quality casino, absolutely yeah. everything, they've maximized your sensory overload. <laughs> so um, an investment in Win is is one that some of you will benefit from uh, from to that end. You'll walk into a, a Win hotel, casino, resort and really feel the company that you own a share yeah. in. So, but the real question is, will we make money from owning shares in Win? And that's something that I'm going to you know, put an opinion out on. So uh, 2018 was a tough year for Wynn. And as most people might recall, it, its namesake CEO and founder Steve Wynn had to stand down yeah. in light of alleged sexual misconduct. Um, I say alleged because it sounded pretty real, but you got to say alleged. Yeah. So <laughs> uh, for their last quarter, the casino operator reported revenue of about 1.7 billion, which was up about a 4% from a year ago. But that's fine. We all know that those great luxury casinos are going to stand there and they're going to bring cash into the register and that's how they work. But the numbers are fine. But investment in Wayne is tantamount to an investment in Macau. 
okay. which is affectionately known as the City of Dreams and is also a small... Is it pen, it's a peninsula, I think. A peninsula or an island? No, it's a peninsula of... It's never good at geography. Yeah, I think it's a peninsula, <laughs> a former Portuguese colony, part of China, and it's a, it's a, it's a Chinese territory. And, and it's uh, this Chinese, ter- Chinese territory has been bigger than Vegas in casino revenue since 2007. So Macau is a big deal. Bigger than the, Vegas, like. Bigger than Vegas, yeah. So it is, despite the, the giant Western casinos that we all know, Macau is, is, the, is the biggest place to go for gamers. Um, it has, Macau itself is only about 650,000 people living there. So therefore, it's the most densely populated um, region in the world. Okay. And it also is second in the world on GDP. So it's a very wealthy area very well populated and almost 15% of the workforce in the area are employed in restaurants and hotels and actually fully 10%, 10.3% in the gambling industry. So um, Wynn, bringing it back to Wynn, Wynn is, uh, is only one of six concessionaries in Macau so they are allowed to operate there and it's a licensed activity. They have two hotels, uh, hotel casinos in Macau and uh, operate profitably as most people know, on the Las Vegas Strip as well. So um, since when Palace in Macau opened, it has driven about 70% revenue increase. That's just in three years yeah. for the Win Group. And right now, today, about 43% of the money that comes into the Win business is uh, directly wired to the prosperity of Macau, which is the second wealthiest by GDP in the world. Yeah. So um, over the long term, the company has some of the best assets in the gaming industry and has some of the best hotels in the world. And on top of that, it's opening for the first time on the East Coast of America, a new $2.6 billion resort hotel. Um, and that's due to open sometime this year in the summer. So, um, you know, if we ever have to go research stuff, this is, when we're finished from Macau. Of all the stocks in our showroom, this is the one I think we should do the most on the ground research for. You know, you make a good point. <laughs> Book to tickets. And, um, but it's, uh, so the short answer is, I think that Win is, uh, has suffered a kind of a, a few significant enough missteps in the last 12 months. Yeah. I don't think the pri- it's priced according. I think it has been priced based on those missteps permeating the business and lasting forever, which is not the truth. Yeah. They have some of the best properties, highly profitable in the in regions that even have barriers to entry, such as Macau, where only six companies are allowed to open a casino. Um, I think it's going to be a big winner for us over the very long term, which is quite difficult in the hotel business, but they, they go beyond that. They're into luxury resorts and casinos. You missed a great pun there. You said a big winner. <laughs> so that's win, and the ticker is? I think it's win. W-I-N-N. Easy. Great. So next up, we're going to go to uh, a new segment we added two weeks ago, Factor Fiction. So it was a popular addition to the podcast, so we're going to bring it back again. This is where each of us will read out a statement about a company or industry and let the rest of us decide if it's truth or an outright lie. Uh, Rory, you missed the last podcast. I'm going to let you go first. Okay. Um, <laughs> <laughs> Factor Fiction. I'm going to have to make it up on the spot. Yeah, uh, I was just going to say, you don't sound prepared. <laughs> I, I am it. Um, okay, here's one. Microsoft stock has gone up 182% since Sajid Nadella took over. Fact. Yeah, that's a fact. Hmm. It was 182 bit I couldn't comment on. Definitely it's well up. Yeah. It's done very when well. When did he take over? Three, four years yeah. ago. It's impressive. Yeah. 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 <laughs> Not bad. Mm. Uh, Emmett, do you want to go next? I'm going to go um, left field here. 
and I'm going to talk about Nikola Tesla, the man, as opposed okay. to Tesla, the company. So it's really out there. I'm going to read a small statement, and then I'm going to ask you if you think it's fact or fiction. Tesla himself moved his operations to Colorado Springs in 1899 in order to take advantage of the great amount of space available for experiment, experimentation and a free supply of AC power. Uh, which he'd been offered there by the local power company. And because he believed the thin atmosphere might be conducive to his goal of wireless power transmission. So experiments in a lab, he had an 80-foot tower, 142-foot metal mast. It's For those of you who saw that movie... Um, the Prestige. The Prestige. Mm, David Bowie. With David Bowie. You, you just gave away your spoiler. That's a spoiler. Spoiler alert, spoiler alert. So David Bowie plays Tesla and he goes off, out, off to Colorado and, and he's basically trying to... Um, Form, sorry, to create the ability to do wireless power transmission. So Tesla's coil formed massive bolts of artificial lightning that supposedly created thunder and Aaron Sparks 15 miles away, surprising people and frightening animals and horses and butterflies uh, with halos of St. Elmo's fire. This guy really went for it. So the bolts also blew out dynamos at the local power company and caused a blackout. So like Tesla was really giving it a shot. Okay, if you got a hand. He was to him. He, the man one was of, scary butterflies. I want to know what a scary of, butterfly looks like. Me too. So one. Uh, so there you have it. So my, my fact or fiction is Tesla succeeded in the wireless transmission of electrical power. True or false? True. I'm going to say true. Fact. Very unsatisfactory answer for me. It was never clear because it was never recreated. Oh. So it's <laughs> probable he didn't. So we don't know. So he scared butterflies for nothing. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. <laughs> the butterflies bit really got me. Yeah. yeah. Uh, <laughs> uh, Maeve, fact or fiction? Uh, Emmett, you mentioned Apple stores in your win mm. pitch. Um, we were recently in an Apple store. Uh, a few of us have finally succumbed and bought AirPods. Apologies to our head of product, Alejandro, for laughing when you bought them two years ago. Um, <laughs> and the statement is that Apple now has 506 stores geographically. And based on the amount of applicants, the level of competition and the rigorous interview process, you are more likely to get a place in Harvard than an American Apple store. So one of those genius, exactly. do they call them Apple geniuses? Yeah, or? one of the flagship ones in the States. Mm. Yeah. I've no idea. I'd say it's fact. Okay, we've got one of each. I'm going to go fact. So. It's fact. Mm. It's a fact. That is crazy yeah that's I actually people have, want to work there I have an Apple one too uh, this one is a bit <laughs> a, a bit left of field maybe so <laughs> in the Apple logo we all know the bite missing from the Apple was inspired by the death of Alan Turing who fam famously took his own life from by biting into a cyanide laced wow. apple factor fiction is that what inspired the Apple logo I hope fiction. it's I hope it's fact because that's a great story it's a great story but I'd say it's fiction because I think there's two the connotation is too negative, I think. Yep, it's fiction. But it's actually, it was. it's kind of one of those myths. Ah. Um, so the, in an interview with the designer who came up with the logo, uh, Rob Janoff, he addressed the um, the kind of the myth and what it actually is from. It's a fairly, uh, a much more basic reason. So the bite mark was to provide scale so that people would know it's an apple and not a cherry. Oh, right. <laughs> but it was a, it's a kind of a, a widely yeah. held myth that that was where the... Uh, where the bike came from, which is a uh -huh. kind of a weird one. I don't know how that started. Yeah. 
for Ruben to start. So uh, that was Factor Fiction. Uh -huh. Does anyone have, Emma, do you don't have a bonus one this, this no, week? No, no bonuses. I'm sorry, <laughs> you laughed at my Tesla one. <laughs> <laughs> I saw you. <laughs> so uh, we're just going to get to the elevator pitch then before we finish up today. Um, usually we have a theme or a kind of general idea to pitch under, but Emmett, you told us today you're going to go for a cold pitch. I'm going for a cold pitch. I have not prepped you in any way whatsoever. Okay. Is that correct? That is absolutely true. correct. Okay. So I'm going to talk about CES, the Consumer Electronics Show, the biggest gathering of its type in the world, which has around 180,000 attendees, 600 startups, hundreds of conference sessions. It's a giant big get together for all, thing to do, all things to do with where the world is headed for consumer electronics. And I'm going to, uh, I've read a few papers on how it went and the big trends that have bubbled up are appear to, that are appearing at the moment. And I'm going to tell you what this, the five trends are, according to one paper I have my hands on. And I'd like you to tell me which you would personally feel most excited about and which of any you might feel worried about. Sounds good. Okay, yep. so you're going to have to listen carefully. So the first is smart homes, cars and cities um, are growing in force. So that's all things to do with the connected car and your car becoming effectively a smart device, um, which is enabled in many ways by uh, 5G technology being rolled out by the big networks. And then the smarter homes are things such as uh, connected cameras and thermostats and nests and controllers and iRobots and yeah. Alexa and all those other devices that weren't really in our consciousness a few years ago. So that's trend one, um, connected homes and cities. Okay. Mm -hmm. So trend number two is the rise of visual, facial and movement recognition. So we all, well, most of us have experienced the iPhone 10 unlocking oh, yeah. by recognizing your face, but imagine that that uh, effect basically is widened to many more things like just as you pay in store or retailers reading your reaction to new products or where your face is looking when you're looking at a shelf, for example, and then the ability for retailers uh, to customize offerings based on looking at you. Okay. So it's uh, the rise of visual, facial and movement recognition. And there's a lot you can read into that. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So the third trend is safety, transparency and trust. And as I can attest to, a hack is no joy. And yeah. um, like our, our safety, not only digital safety, but our safety in the home and our safety in the car. But the well-being of your, your physical body is, is, a rising, uh, is a rising force in consumer electronics. So that there are far more devices coming out to prevent you from falling or to alert the right people if you do fall. To monitor all your, your vital signs like your, your stress and your blood sugar and... and um, uh, all other matters to do with your personal being. So um, that's uh, that's the next theme. The fourth theme is beauty, health and wellness. Yep. So all things to do with better sleep, to do with uh, taking care of your skin, um, blowing into certain devices for to tell you what type of foods are best suited to your, to your metabolism. So that's kind of personal well-being. Yep. And then the final one and the fifth one is uh, previously underserved markets. So kids, pets, seniors are, is, a, is a rising force. So okay. if you take the world of consumer electronics was looking at the middle of the bell curve. It's yeah. stretching out into the older, younger, and not even people at all markets. Okay. Okay. So I'm going to summarize the five again, just, and I'd like your read on which one you'd be most excited about and which one you might have fear of. So 
smarter homes, cars and cities is trend one. The rise of visual, facial and movement recognition is, is trend two. Uh, safety, transparency and trust is trend, trend three. Um, beauty, health and wellness is trend four. And finally, trend five is previously underserved markets such as kids, pets, seniors and disabled. Okay. Okay. So which one of those would you get most excited about? Um, I like the I like the, the underserved market one. I think it's it's um it's something I never really thought of before, but I know even in our app we have things like Trupanion and IDEX and stuff. Mm-hmm. They mm-hmm. you know serve non humans, i.e. animals. Yeah. So uh, yeah, it's 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 something I'd be excited about. Okay. If security and trust. Yeah. yeah, I mean, it's very much linked to what I do, but I can sense that there is consumer need to know that the service mm. they're using can be trusted. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh, for me, it was um, smart cities. That's the one you I am so tired of living in a city where we give up so much space to cars. Yeah. Like, if you just think yeah. about how we are just, like, huddled onto these tiny sidewalks, I would love to live in a place with no cars. Entirely. Yeah, yeah me too. Yeah. It's amazing. Funny, the one that you're most excited about, Rory, I would share the excitement, but I have a great de- uh, degree of trepidation about you hear of home cameras and thermostats being hacked into. Mm. And even yeah. I was reading a piece last night about how a gene chip array was hacked by somebody who had basically put code onto a gene. And uh, it's it's an unbelievable story. But like the things that would have me worried about are like there's a whole array of connected devices now designed for the bathroom. So like a mirror that reads your face and suggests products and um, I don't have a huge degree of trust for a lot of devices that are constantly listening so I'm with you Rory from the efficiency of the cities but inside the home I'm probably a little bit old fashioned yeah. I'm, I'm, I'm trying to keep it uh, 1990 style <laughs> I, except I, for our TVs I, I draw the line there kind of the front door too I think smart cities and all is, is very kind of exciting but yeah, those stories you hear of those home cameras and yeah. you know, basically Jeff Bezos coming into your house. Does and no one else have an Echo? No, I no. don't have an Echo. No, I, I just do. bought. I just bought a dot. Did you? Did you? Yeah, um, in New York. Yeah, well, I, li- I live alone. Alexa's like my, 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 <laughs> yeah. like my best friend. But I was uh, with a friend in New York over the weekend and they have an Alexa in every single room of both their properties, of which there are plenty of rooms. Every single room has an Echo or an Alexa. In it. I'd be so uncomfortable with that. I it wouldn't be for me. That's all I'll yeah. say. But look at the amount of tech we've wired up to our front door here at RubyCoin. We've apps and iPads and we've a camera that looks at you and passcodes and second app to back. It's honestly <laughs> like, it's it's just, to me, it's just crackers. That would have been my choice for the one that concerns me the most. It would have been the um, the facial recognition. Yeah. 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 It's just a little yeah. bit minority report for me. It is, yeah. yeah. Well, uh, that was the longest elevator ride I've ever been on. <laughs> For elevator. Here we are. Yeah, yeah, only, only 30 seconds, can you believe it? 30 seconds? <laughs> yeah. Uh, so, with that, that's about it from us here today at Stock Club. But I want um, to add a bit more to my pitch. <laughs> uh, before we go, I want to quickly mention that there is less than a week left to grab our new investing report for 2019. That's 43 star stocks to smash the market. Um, this report is a collection of some of our best performing stocks from the My Wall Street app, uh, plus five more stocks that we're excited about for 2019, and you can access it all in one bumper report. It's available until next Monday, that's February the 11th. Uh, so if you want to buy it, simply Google 43 star stocks to smash the market or follow the link provided with this episode. If you have anything else that you want us to discuss on the next podcast, make sure to leave a comment or email us at pod at mywallstreet.com. 
That's P-O-D at MyWallStreet, M-Y-W-A-L-L-S-T dot com. And as always, there's plenty of new things to check out in the My Wall Street app at the moment, including February's stock of the month. Thanks for listening in today, and please make sure to rate, review, and share the podcast if you enjoyed it. From all of us here, happy investing. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50% to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com trip for free shipping and 365-day returns.